the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. Welcome back to Chapter 2 of In Her Words, a satirical memoir of Sophia of Hanover. After this short break, we'll return where we left off from Chapter 1. It struck me at times, as I have before mentioned, that my happiness at the Hague would be of no long duration, and as my good friends had come to the same conclusion, it was agreed that I should go to the Palatinate on a visit to my brother, the Elector Palatine, who had always favored me with his affection, even to the extent of calling me his daughter, for he was thirteen years older than I. Hearing that he had married a princess of Hesse Castle, and knowing him to be a prince of great powers of mind, I felt sure that in so important a matter, he would not have allowed inclination to overrule judgment, and that in the young and beautiful princess of his choice, I was certain to find a delightful companion. The queen, who still clung to the idea of the English marriage, consented with great reluctance to my departure. But when it was pointed out to her that my journey would be no obstacle to her plan, she not only gave free consent, but arranged that I should be accompanied by my two favorites, the Carays, the eldest of whom was married to Mr. Withpole, a very accomplished and agreeable gentleman. Lord Craven was superintendent and took charge of us all. As I had never during my whole life stirred from the Hague, except once when I went to Renan and now and then in a canal boat to Leyden or Delft, I dreaded the fatigue of a carriage and therefore begged from the States General the loan of a pinnish, in which I was able, with great comfort, to sail up the Rhine. I intended to stop nowhere, but when we touched at the town of Dusseldorf, the Duke of Newburgh did me the honor of coming in person to welcome me and invite me to dinner. His wife being at Ems, I at first hesitated about accepting the invitation, but thought at last that I might do so, as he was a prince of nearly sixty years old. It was said that his temper was by no means equal, and that he had alternately a good day and a bad one, but throughout the day on which he received me, no one could have been more agreeable. He showed me all over his palace, which struck me as being very antique. Hanging on the walls of his bedroom were more than one hundred little pictures painted on parchment, representing stories from the Old and New Testaments, and from the lives of several saints, which he took the trouble to explain. He next showed me his church, where I was introduced to a Princess de Dupont's, who had lowered herself by marrying a man called Bertia Calda. Having become a Roman Catholic, she enjoyed the Duke's protection. He then took me to two convents, one of which was full of English girls, who looked so gay and pretty that I felt tempted to stay with them. The Duke read my thoughts, and being eager to make converts, for he was himself a pervert, declared that he would not give me his hand and lead me out, but forced me to walk alone to the carriage, in which, however, he drove back with me to the Pinnish, where I spent the night, after thanking him for all his courtesy. 
His was the first court I had seen in Germany, and I there remarked the great civility shown to strangers, and very great respect for the prince. He himself was more particular about dress than anyone else at court, for he changed it twice during the day which I spent there. His courtiers did not look as if they took so much trouble. As regards his furniture, he had some fine and very old tapestries, but the beds and chairs, sharing the latter quality only, were not so pleasing to behold. Continuing my journey, I reached Cologne, where I saw nothing to admire but the ramparts, for the heads of eleven thousand virgins, and of those of three kings, had no more fascination for me than had the wine presented by the burgomaster, for I never drank any. Mr. Withpole and Coray, however, did it ample justice. The next place I reached was Rheinfels, which belongs to the landgrave Ernest. The sight of his castle perched on the mountaintop greatly excited my curiosity to see its interior. The landgrave honored me with a visit in my paniche and gave me the desired opportunity by inviting me to go thither with him. He said that his wife was not at home, but would shortly arrive. She certainly lost no time, for she presently appeared at full gallop, accompanied by a young lady as disheveled as herself. Notwithstanding the disorder of her dress, she was handsome, but without the manners of a princess. Nor, indeed, had she anything aristocratic about her. All that I saw of this court resembled a mere private house. The castle was comfortable enough, but difficult to access, particularly in the landgrave's carriage, which jolted terribly and was of a strange outlandish build. The honeyed discourse of its master, however, smoothed all the difficulties of the way, and I was brought back to my pinnish by him and the landgraven, where they took leave of me. I next arrived at Bacharach, but did not land, for the French were still in garrison there. The governor politely asked me to give the countersign. I went on to Oppenheim, the first town at which I landed in the Palatinate. The governor received me with a carriage, which must have been seen to be imagined. Two vicious horses of different colors were harnessed to it. As there was no seat inside, I placed myself as best I could on some cushions which I had brought with me. The horses, however, refused to stir, so I was obliged to walk through the mud, for there was no pavement such as we have in Holland. I was then taken into a house without any windows, where I stayed for a time in order to have some dinner, which was the best part of my visit, and tasted excellent after so unsavory a reception. I next arrived in Mannheim, where the elector and electress had kindly come to receive me. The elector, with his hearty manner, seemed delighted to see me, but Madame assumed a doleful air, and hardly spoke during the whole day, thereby giving me the better opportunity of inspecting her at my leisure. She was very tall, with an admirable complexion and most beautiful bust. Her features were irregular, and her eyebrows, which were dyed black, struck me as forming too violent a contrast with her beautiful flaxen hair. 
Besides, in raising them, she gave a kind of twist to her high forehead, which had a very odd appearance. To make up for these defects, she had beautiful sparkling eyes, full, pouting lips, and very fine teeth. Altogether, she would be called a handsome woman. I got into a carriage with the elector and electress to start for Heidelberg. I was so pleased to see in Germany a carriage which was assuredly much better built than any that I had yet encountered during my travels, that I praised its beauty. A grimace on the part of Madame showed to me my surprise that my praise displeased her. I was not then aware that this, her wedding carriage, had excited her wrath because she thought it inferior to the one which her sister, the Princess Tarentum, had been presented, and that Madame had therein considered her mother to show greater affection for her sister than for herself. We arrived at Heidelberg in the evening. The castle had suffered so severely during the Thirty Years' War that the elector lived in a house called Commissarat. The elector and electress did me the honor of accompanying me to the room prepared for me, and then, in German fashion, left me to my attendants. When at liberty, I could not help exclaiming, with true Dutch naivete, My sister-in-law is very stupid! This impression was confirmed the next day, which was Sunday, when, on going to her rooms to accompany her to church, I found her with all her fine clothes spread out upon a table enumerating whence they had come and how long she had had them. I took all of this as a joke, it being the fashion then to have few dresses at a time and to renew them frequently. When the catalogue of her clothes was completed, we went to church. On our return, my sister-in-law confided to me that she had married the elector against her will, that she had been sought in marriage by several other princes but that her mother had chosen to make her marry a jealous old man, that a duke of Württemberg named Frederick had signed for her, as had two dukes of Brunswick, George William and Ernest Augustus, a prince Philip Palsgrave of Sulzbach and several counts. This conversation quite took me aback, and I wished myself a thousand times again at The Hague, where any complaint on the part of a woman against her husband was looked upon as a crime, and where such foolish creatures were held up to ridicule. The elector, on his part, had matrimonial grievances to confide with regard to his wife's temper. He said that she possessed sterling worth and many good qualities, but had been badly brought up, and he entreated me to cure her of all her affectation and point out how unsuitable it was to a person of her rank. In spite of the faults, he found, I could see that he idolized her, and I often felt ashamed to see him kiss her in public. There was continual embracing going on, and I have often seen him kneeling to her, or her to him. In that time, one would have said that their love was likely to be of lifelong duration, but jealousy, the troublesome child of love, soon disturbed their peace. The elector, believing that Madame could not look at anyone without lessening her affection for him, often made accusations which she received with great indignation, and which were, indeed, very ill-founded. It was from a certain weakness of mind, 
and not from any evil design that she loved to attract attention. There was more folly than evil in her, but the elector, having great delicacy of feeling, wished her to be all in all to himself and nothing to others. The slightest word from him on this subject put her right into a fitful rage, which usually lasted the whole day. The elector then employed a thousand little loving wiles to mollify her. But this treatment made her all the more rebellious, for she resembled her uncle Frederick, who was only submissive when ill-treated. I leave it to be imagined whether I was very happy at that time. The electress liked hunting and cards, while I was accustomed to neither. I could not shoot, and had only played cards on an evening to amuse the queen, who liked to watch her game. I was much comforted by the arrival of the Princess of Terringtum, who understood how to make life pleasant. I greatly enjoyed her society, though I had it only for a fortnight. I wrote for my sister Elizabeth, whom the elector had always greatly esteemed, and at my request she consented to undertake the journey. Before doing so, however, she made up the marriage of our sister, Princess Henriette and Prince Rockensey, at which the elector was displeased, thinking it a mistake to send our sister so far for so poor an alliance. Princess Elizabeth arrived at Heidelberg, while our brother, Prince Edward, was there. He had awaited her arrival with great impatience, as it was long since they had met. Her stay at the court of our aunt, the Electress of Brandenburg, had done her no good. We thought her much changed both in mind and person. Looking at her, Prince Edward whispered to me, Where is her liveliness gone? What has she done with her merry talk? The electress had also thought her disagreeable, and the elector, who still bore her a grudge for the marriage of our sister Henriette, was infected by his wife's dislike. The electress made much of me from dislike to my sister, and Elizabeth at once asserted such authority over me that I began to prefer Madame, who could be charming when she pleased, for at times she had some very gracious moments by which I benefited. Still, I was greatly to blame for not submitting to a sister who had evidently much more sense than myself. My friends, on the other hand, were well pleased to foster my ill humor in order to draw me closer to themselves. Just then, the Duke of Württemberg invited the elector and all of us to visit him at Stuttgart. Accordingly, we went and were received outside the gates with great pomp by the duke and all of his court. My uncle, the Duke of Simmern, was there with his sons, also the Margrave of Bach and young Prince of Holstein. The number of princesses, too, was very great, consisting of the Duchess of Württemberg with her daughters and two sister-in-laws, the Princesses Antonia and Anna Johanna, and two cousins, the Princess Faustine and Florian. The number of counts, countesses, and other nobility also present was beyond computation. The procession on our arrival was so enormous that the Duke took a fancy to make it pass several times through the streets, and we were tired not only by this, but also by a very large and lengthy supper party, which lasted till midnight. 
Matt, however, did not prevent our hosts from waking us early the next morning to go hunting. But just as we were nearly ready, they remembered that the hunt might, perhaps, not be advisable after the fatigues of our journey, and it was accordingly given up. As compensation for this disappointment, we remained nearly the whole day long at table, the men vying with each other over who should drink most, while the old princesses opened crawfish for us. The remainder of our time at Stuttgart was spent in balls, concerts, Wirtschaft, hunting, and walking. It was all very magnificent, but seasoned with a little politeness, and therefore not at all to my taste. The gentlemen kept apart from the ladies, who were always very solemn. The Prince of Holstein, to show his gallantry, drank my health in a huge bumper, thereby exciting the jealousy of the two old princesses, Antonia and Anna Johanna, who envied me this fine conquest, which I did not value. The Duke of Holstein had a gentleman with him who bowed every time he caught my eye. I made the electress laugh at this in order to console her for her mother's death, the news of which, having just arrived, brought our visit to a close, by no means to my regret. On our return to Heidelberg, I found letters written from Portugal by Donna Dorothea de Guzman, with whom I had made friends in Holland. She had already written several times to persuade me to marry the Duke of Aveiro, Although my beauty was considerably impaired by smallpox, taken that same year, still ambition to forbade me, after thinking of a king, to descend to a subject, though the lady painted Portugal in the brightest colors. Just then Duke Ernest Augustus of Brunswick and Lunenburg passed through Heidelberg on his return from Venice. I had seen him as quite a youth in Holland. Since then, his appearance had greatly improved, and he was universally admired. But as the youngest of three brothers, he was not thought a desirable party. We played the guitar together, which served to show off his exquisite hands. In dancing, he also excelled. He offered to send me some of Corbetti's guitar music, and began a correspondence on this subject, which I was the first to break off fearing that the world might call my friendship for him by a tenderer name. And that concludes Chapter 2 of In Her Words, a satirical memoir by Sophia of Hanover herself. Be sure to check back very soon for Chapter 3. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Rebecca Larson. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty.